This is Stage Right, and I am your host, John Thorne. They say if you die with a handful of friends, you die a rich man. Well, I have several buses full, and I'm very excited to share them all with you. Welcome to Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. Thanks for tuning in today for episode 40. So earlier tonight, my wife, Julie, and I, and our daughter, Alexis, and son-in-law, Zach, and our granddaughter, Lily, we went over to my sister Pam's house, where her and my brother-in-law, Scott, were actually throwing a little get-together for a lot of our clan who was in town from out of state. Some of you might know my nephew, Cody. He and his wife, Hallie, are here from Ohio. Our niece, Molly, and her two sweet little girls are in town from San Diego. And to top it off, my dad came over to visit and hang out, so we had a blast. But like every other time you go by the Cruzen's house, two things are absolutely sure to happen. The first thing that I can promise you is going to happen when you go to my sister's house is she is going to serve you food. She's going to serve you snacks, drinks. She'll serve you dinner, lunch, breakfast, anything you could possibly want. She will get you any time of day or night. Not even a question. If you said, I know you made uh, a great big spaghetti dinner, but I'd like pizza, she'd probably go buy you a pizza. The second thing that's guaranteed that will happen if you go to their house is there will be music playing Every time you go, a lot of times it's worship music, sometimes it's classic rock, sometimes it's classical, sometimes it's country, but there is always music playing. My sister is a fantastic piano player and a great worship leader, and my brother-in-law, Scott, is a great bass player and a wonderful guitar player. So there's always music playing at their house. It was my brother-in-law, Scott, who wrote the first two songs of what would later become Awaiting Emmanuel, the Christmas musical, he wrote him with my buddy Gersh from Whiteheart. So tonight when I got home from the party, I found a text from Scott with a link for tonight's Spotify party playlist. <laughs> now, part of me wanted to pull it up and listen to it all over again because it was awesome, but the other part of me knew that I had to get this podcast edited and finished and uploaded before Friday at noon. But I was looking at the link and I was thinking to myself, how lucky am I that my brother-in-law is thoughtful enough to send me a playlist of music he knows I just enjoyed at his house. It doesn't matter how often we go to Pam and Scott's, doesn't matter what kind of music we listen to, it always takes on more meaning when I listen to it with my brother-in-law, Scott. I love you, Scott. I appreciate you more than you know. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services to generate more leads, more exposure, and more revenue for your business or organization. Let Hey Rockstar amplify your awesomeness. Okay, Tom, so part two of our conversation, I want to pick up with this. I want to stay on the Imperials bus here for a little bit. There's this wave, this tsunami of Russ Taff and the Imperials that had built to this certain point. And then all of a sudden, Russ was gone. And Paul Smith was there. I saw three shows on that tour. I remember vividly his turquoise cowboy boots. Now, would you say from someone that rode the bus, were the crowds receptive of Paul Smith? 
or did they punish him because Russ was gone and they felt like it was Paul's fault? Or what was the effect on the bus, on the momentum of that next tour after Russ left? Well, that's a great question. Number one, Paul Smith is a dear friend of mine and always has been. I knew him back in Continental Singers. Oh, wow. And actually, it was me that gave Armand his custom album when Russ announced that he was leaving. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's a, another story. But we they ended up hiring Paul. And, yes, it was a big change for the audience. I think there was a lot of audience that really had difficulty moving on hmm. to the Paul Smith era. Part of that was because Russ left right before uh, the album Priority, right about the time it released. Right. So Paul had to sing all of Russ's leads for a year on the road on Priority. That is so true. I forgot about that. In addition to Praise the Lord and Old Buddha. Right. And Forgiven and Trumpeted Jesus. I mean, Paul had to do all those tunes. And, you know... Russ had a way of doing them. Paul had a way of doing them. Yeah. But there's no doubt, by the way, that Paul Smith was a phenomenon as a singer. Absolutely. Uh, like, I likened him to Steve Perry and still do, you know, just a major vocal talent, you know. But, you know, there were people that just weren't going to let Russ go. Yeah. You know, and it took it took its toll on the, on the uh the audience and their satisfaction for a while. Okay. So you guys were on the road constantly. So that whole year he's singing Russ's songs. What was it like when stand by the power came out? So the stand by the power record was really a breath of fresh air when it happened, because number one, they, they chose Bill Cheney in LA to produce. And of course, Bill Cheney, famous engineer producer. Yes. At the time, right up there with Omarty and just a different guy, you know? Yeah. And uh, he used these killer players on that record. You know, Jeff Picaro from Toto actually played drums on Stand By The Power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then and uh, Steve Lukather played guitar, you know. Unbelievable players. I think it was Nathan East played bass. You know, Abraham Laboriel played on the Omardian Projects on bass. And right. Nathan East, I think, was on Stand By The Power, but don't quote me on that one. But it was definitely Picaro. Right. And, and so, uh, yeah, that was a major thing. And, and really, Paul came into his own when Stand By The Power came out. And the audience started loving his songs because they were his, you know. Yeah. They, they weren't comparing him to Russ. The downside was is he was still having to do Russ's leads on a lot of these big songs that just could not be taken out of the set list. You know, right. we had to do Praise The Lord. Of course. In fact... I was there almost 10 years and it was never off of the set list. Praise the Lord was always on the set list. Wow. And so was Trumpet of Jesus. Of course. Yeah. And so was Forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Forgiven in 1981 was on number one in the charts for 13 weeks. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I mean, no other song has done that. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, so yeah, it was a big change, big transition. Yeah. Uh, I won't tell you, I, I'm not even going to let you dig out of me how I really felt about Russ leaving when he did, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it was devastating to the group and really devastating to Russ as well. But, you know, you can't second guess. You just, you just keep going. You just get up the next day and go. Right. Okay. I won't try to dig it out of you, but I will try to dig this out of you. 
What were some of your favorite songs to play back then out of all of those great songs you guys played every night? Oh, well, I love Forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Trump and Jesus, mm-hmm. you know. And I liked Bread Up on the Water from back in the day because it was just such a just such a funky little, <laughs> you know, just like it was a cool groove to get to play right. with the rhythm section, you know. Mm-hmm. In the later years, I learned I loved Stand by the Power you know fantastic record let the wind blow loved it was a totally different thing for us yeah because we started introducing from a drummer's standpoint i started introducing a lot more electronics into the set with with programmed uh percussion and you know i had i had a whole electronic side of the kid that along with an acoustic kid back then so Hmm. all these things were evolving on the records and i had to you know keep doing that right emulate it live yeah and so oh and then when ron and jimmy lee came in i mean (laughs) this year's model was just nothing but a good time you know (laughs) i mean and jimmy lee was playing bass and of course that was a another good time to be had for sure Uh, monster player oh scary frightening Everybody I ever heard play for the Imperials was amazing, but I can only imagine what it would be like to play with you, James Hollihan, Tom Hemby, uh, Ron oh, Hemby, yeah. Jimmy Lee and those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I just remember sitting back sometimes and playing along with them instead of me, them playing <laughs> along with me. <laughs> well, you probably caught yourself listening a time or two. Oh, yeah. You sit there and go, Oh, I can't believe what you just did right there. I'm sure glad I didn't play a drum fill on top of it. Listen, I have told you this before, but I got to tell you again, and I'll probably tell you again a hundred times before I die. But listen, I want you to hear me. Contemporary Christian music, as we came to know it through the late mid to late 80s into the 90s, contemporary Christian music was built on the shoulders of you and your friends in the Imperials band. That's that's humbling to think of. Well, it's very true. It is. And I got to say this. As a preacher's kid, as a kid in church, Aerosmith, Kiss, those bands used to just have my attention. Yeah, right. And as soon as I saw you guys, you were the first Christian band that made me want to play Christian music. No, that's how I felt, too. Yeah. That's what Truth did for me was... It pulled me out of the nightclubs in Wichita. Wow, that's amazing. That I never really, I, did, I didn't want to return ever. I never had to play another club in my whole career. How about that? Wow, that's fantastic. Never. Not once. That's amazing. That is so cool. Okay, before we hop off the Imperials bus completely, okay. um, Armin used to let you come out during intermission and do a pitch. Yep. Do you remember what that pitch was? Tell everyone what that pitch was you came out and, and did. Well, I don't remember the pitch exactly, but the essence of it was if, if you're going to record, then we would love to be able to help. Right. As a band, our when we're home, we're available for you to use as a group. And, uh, you know, I had a little brochure that back at the record table. and And by the way, the fact that Armin Morales let us do this was unbelievable because he didn't ask for one single thing in return. Oh, that's great. He just let us do it. It was my idea. I headed it up and it didn't take long to find out that I just needed to, you know, even make it more of a company, you know? Yeah. 
because the band kept changing, you know, and whatnot. So, which is all good. But uh, we did the very first year we did it. We did ten records on the side when we were home here in Nashville. That's awesome. And so we all made a bunch of extra money, which was much appreciated by our wives <laughs> and families. <laughs> and of course, we we learned how to pay a lot more taxes uh, yeah. at the end of the year. But it was a great experience, and we got we just basically trained ourselves how to play in the studio. Right. Because well, back then, you know, the producers used their their guys just like they do now. So we weren't we weren't playing on the records, but but uh, we were all aspiring to be studio musicians. Sure. And so that was a great it's a great opportunity. Right. Okay. So about three questions down in the production section, I was going to ask you this question. Explain to everyone why someone might be a great live player, but maybe not a great studio player and vice versa. Well, it's, it really is the, just the word experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There are so many little nuances in the studio that require <laughs> experience that it's just not the same as live at all. Right. Uh, now, back then, that was even more true because in the studio, you were going to play with a click track. Yeah. Uh, even then, it was evolving quickly, and you were going to play with a click or a percussion loop or something. Sure. And most most guys just hadn't done that yet, and they would even tell you that they hated doing that, mm -hmm. uh, which is code for I'm having a hard time with this. Yes, I don't <laughs> like how that click makes me feel. Exactly. <laughs> And the other thing is, is, and this is the big one right here. So if you're writing this down, <laughs> get out your pen. Yep. Nothing, nothing ever replaces hearing yourself back. Yes. In the studio. Absolutely. Because there's, there's things that you're doing as a live player. I don't care what you play that you don't realize you're doing. Yep. And until you hear it back, a few times and are able to make those adjustments and learn from that, you're not going down the right path of being able to play in the studio. Yes, absolutely. You have to be ready to take it on the chin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. As a drummer, you have to, you just, you're going to hear the things that you thought were great and they're not, Right. you know, Yep. or any instrument. And I won't go into specifically some of the little nuances I heard and learned from when I listened to myself back. Right, But that's really the big difference between even really great live players, even today, even now, yep. and really solid studio musicians. It's just the, the studio guys have heard themselves back, and they know what works. Yep, for sure. Every time. Yep. Now, that doesn't mean they won't try something, you know? I mean, you hear a guy like Dave Cleveland do something different every day, but... <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, he knows what works. He's heard himself back so many times. He knows what sounds work. He knows what everybody else is doing and how to make it fit. Yep. And you just don't know those things until you do it. Right. I was in truth with Dave Cleveland. And I remember he was an amazing person and a good, really good guitar player. But I had no idea who he was going to grow up to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he is one of the best. Oh, he may be one of the best in the world. Absolutely top three. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Like, and, and I mean, I'm talking credits by now, too. Right. Okay? And that's not speculation that he's top three in the world. Right, he, right. 
He may actually be the best studio musician on the planet. Right. It's very possible. It is possible. Wow. Well, he played on a track with me a couple of weeks ago Yeah. for a friend of ours, and he turned his final track around in one day, yeah. and it was just remarkable. Oh, no, it's frightening. If he just wasn't such a jerk, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. All right. Let no, me... that's, uh, that was a joke out there. He nicest guy on the planet, for sure. Absolutely. Let me yeah. tell you one Dave Cleveland story, and then I'll move on, and I'll get back okay. to you. Yeah. We were at a truck stop, in truth. I was sitting on the dashboard. Dave was in the jump seat. This old 1950-something looked like it was painted with a paint roller. Royal blue bluebird bus pulls into the bay next to us and dave's like john john it's carl perkins and i'm like <laughs> wow it is and he's like come with me i'm like what and he's like come with me i'm gonna go talk to him and he grabbed his bible right he drags me over to carl perkins bus knocks on the door carl's sitting in the jump seat reading the usa today carl opens the door dave's like carl like, you are my favorite. Like, you're the reason I play guitar. I just want to tell you how much I love you, but I also want to tell you that God loves you, and I want you to have my Bible. So if you get tired of reading the newspaper, you can read the Bible. Wow. God really loves you. And he, and, and Carl's like, man, I appreciate it, but I've got three Bibles. Yeah. And Dave's like, you don't understand. It would be such an honor for me if you would take my Bible. Wow. And Carl Perkins took his Bible and thanked him and shook his hand. And so that is Dave Cleveland. He's one of the best guitar players on the planet. And he's one of the best people. I could not agree more. Okay. So then as a drummer and a producer, I have to ask you this. Do you ever find yourself in the situation where you're second guessing what you're playing because you're producing as well? Well, not, not really. Um, I don't track live and try to produce at the same time. Okay. So a lot of what I do now is, is uh, I, because of the approval processes we have to go through, mm -hmm. uh, I'll program from pads okay. into Pro Tools along with and work with a keyboard player or the arranger that I'm choosing on that, on that particular piece. And sure. We'll, we'll start there. And so... When I, by the time I bring in players, mm -hmm. we're probably cutting to that material. Okay. But you got to understand that when I say I'm programming, it's not, there's nothing cheesy about it, man. This <laughs> right. is like fully, completely blown out, amazing uh, sounds and whatnot. But sure, sure. And a lot of times when I'm producing, I'll call somebody else. I mean, I may call Scott Williamson or John Hammond or, you know, Garth Justice. I mean, wow. I may prefer to actually hear them play over me hmm. uh, because I'm in a different kind of position and mindset now. I'm not, and you know, those guys are like playing every single day. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm really turning myself into an engineer producer. Yeah, and, you know, running a studio is right as uh, my main thing. Sure. And that's not to say that drums aren't my main instrument. They certainly are, but yeah. I don't really have to hear me all the time. And don't <laughs> don't really prefer. Really, my job as a producer is to make the best call. Yeah. And that may very well be somebody else, you know. So interesting. So no, I don't I don't second guess myself. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you this before I move on. Have you ever had to replace someone because they weren't working out in a session? Yes. 
absolutely on every instrument. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. I've had some, you know, that's an interesting thing too, because if, if people that don't understand mm. the uh, difficulty of making the decision as to who to call on a project and right. why they're not getting called over somebody else or, you know, whatnot, all those questions that come in your mind. Yeah. I think it's because of this. If I'm producing and I'm working with a $50,000 budget, okay? Yeah. And I've got an hour of music to cut for whatever it is, a show or whatever. You know, when I put it all into the spreadsheet, mm-hmm. I really only have time and money to do it once. Yep. Not twice or three times. Right. So the pressure is not in the studio. The pressure is making the right call. Yeah. So that's why producers generally have their guys that they can depend on. They, unless they just have an, an enormous budget flexibility, they may not take very many chances when it comes to who they call. And that's the reason because they don't want to have to, they don't want to have to fix it. They don't want to replace it. Right. If it doesn't work out. And so when you look at it from through that lens, it's a kind of kind of gross to look at it through the financial lens, but from a producer's perspective, you're watching the numbers. You're, you're, you have that responsibility, you know, it's real life, real money going out. And uh, from a producer standpoint, if he makes a mistake and has to replace it, he called the wrong guy. It's coming out of his part of the project. Right. You know? It's not the client's responsibility to make up for that. So, that's kind of big boy talking. I mean, that's kind of like adult production stuff, you know? Yeah. But that's the reality of it. That's why you can't just call that, that singer you heard at church that you think <laughs> might be able to do it. Or that friend that wants to be a studio musician. <laughs> yeah. Or even a family. <laughs> oh man. Unless you're, you're sure, then you just, you gotta be, you got to be careful. Yeah. Now, and the other thing is, and a lot of people don't know this, but really when you when you try to get involved in things like that, you, it's not really the producers you need to know. Let's say if you're a singer, you need to know the other studio singers. Oh, that's great advice. And one of them is probably the contractor. Okay. Right. And the reason is because they don't want to sing with anybody and they're not going to sing with anybody unless they're forced to that's going to slow down the day or not represent their part correctly. Yep. So they really have to sign off on you first. And that's the same thing with the brass guys, the strings, the woodwinds and the rhythm section guys. You know, if you want to find the next hot new bass player in town, you ask the session drummers and the keyboard players. Right. That's how you find out about the new kid in town. That's killing it. You know, um, it's not because they they sent you their demo, you know, or to their website. <laughs> right. The, the other players sign off on you first in every market, I guarantee you. Okay, so earlier, you didn't come out and say it in so many words, but I read between the lines, were you saying that the production stuff that Armin let you come out and pitch with the Imperials during intermission, that that was the beginning of what became the studio and the business that you have now? Yes, it caused me to fall in love with the studio. Wow. And how you get sounds and what you're thinking about arrangement wise and how it all comes together. You know, 
just every piece of the puzzle. Right. I thought I want to do that for my living. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just play drums. I'm not, I'm not lessening just playing drums, but I, I really want to do the whole thing. Sure. I want to, I want to sit in the chair and yep. be involved. I want to think about who we're calling, what, who's writing, what the arrangements like mm. working with singers, which all that all came from just working on those little independent projects back in the Imperial space. Right. Okay. So you made it to the chair, you call the shots, you get to do the arrangements, you get to be involved in everything. Give me two or three of the biggest challenges that you face or run into as the producer when you're responsible and on the hook for the whole thing. Well, constantly changing technology over the years. Yeah. Which really that takes us back to the financial discussion, which is just means if you're not careful, you can get in debt and never get out Right. in, in technology. That, that wasn't my problem because I, I was warned about that from my dad <laughs> who didn't know anything about it. He just warned me not to do it. So I didn't, Right. I didn't have to go out and buy every little thing that somebody thought you needed to have. Right. Uh, the other challenge is just a lot of interpersonal things. And this is kind of an interesting point that you brought up because as soon as you're, if you want trouble in your life, just be in charge of something. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) Either by somebody asking you to be in charge or you're just in charge because it's your, your thing, right? Right. You're the boss. It's your business. It's your project. It's your whatever. But if you want drama and trouble, just be in charge. Right. Now, me, you know, that's been tough um, because it just is what it is. That's just human nature. But that's that's that answers one of your questions is that's that's a challenging thing. Yes. Being in charge, because when you're in charge, you're not one of the boys anymore. Yeah. And you, and you can't have it both ways. It's really tough. I've learned to do it a little bit better now on anything I'm going to do, man. I'm just going to call giants. I'm going to call everybody that's better than me already. So there's nothing to really be in charge of. <laughs> right except making sure they get paid, you know? <laughs> um, so, but it's, that's one of the challenges. And then, you know, I guess it's a challenge dealing with the personalities of your clients. Uh, they're all different. Everybody has different sets of expectations and whatnot. Right. But it's just like anything, you know, you, you learn how to do it and you learn how to do it with grace and confidence and, uh, and at the end of the day, if you're trying to make sure that your customer, your client is getting something that they can really use, if that's your end goal every time, right. then that's pretty hard to go wrong on. You know, if you really are looking out for your client and in the music business, if you're not, you're not going to be in it very long. Mm-hmm. So right for sure they they flag you rather quickly yes. yeah you get exposed quickly if you're not good and here you are coming up on 35 to 40 years of doing it really really well that's pretty remarkable well i again i think part of that's that that i try to do those things i just said and that it's just god's story is being played out in my particular life yeah for sure i think that'll be the thing that i'm the most satisfied with is just knowing that that I didn't miss on, hmm. you know, if he had something for me to go do, I didn't miss it, you know? Right. That's, I know I have a lot of people that I know that 
you know, they just feel like they never really got to do what, hmm. what they wanted to, you know? Yeah. And that's just not the case with me. I, even if it ended today, I couldn't say a single negative thing that would make any sense to anybody. <laughs> right. So, right. So you've got this killer studio and when we were talking a few months back, you told me about some stuff that you had done to your studio as a result of COVID and the capabilities that you have with your studio now. Tell everyone about that. Well, during COVID, yeah, during COVID, I decided that, okay, what am I going to do with my time here? Let's let's figure this out. I had a couple of calls from people that wanted to, some things to happen in the studio, but they weren't willing to fly nor come into Nashville to produce or be a part of it. So I, I, I went with a multi-camera setup based around a Zoom call, and there's a program in Pro Tools called Audio Movers that you can add as a plug-in that will send out high-quality audio sound over the internet hmm. in almost real time to a client. So you could be sitting in, in between your speakers or headphones anywhere and just about hear exactly the same thing that we're hearing here. Wow. And so I combined that with a Zoom call which is really covers the video side of things, yeah. which allows a client to literally produce from their office or another studio anywhere in the world. Uh, all they got to do, I've got the audio set up to where the, the talent that's in the studio here can hear what, uh, what we're doing and they can talk to us just as if they were sitting right here at the production desk. And uh, it took a little bit of time to get it all kind of, you know, tweaked out and make it really work, but it's been really good. We've had a lot of people that, you know, even if they just don't want to come into Nashville because all they need is like a three-hour session with three singers. Right. You know? But they still want to take part in the session and be able to respond to things that are going on and, or approve a mix or, you know, tell us something that we might not, that they're hearing, you know. Uh, that's all in real time. It's all over the, the Zoom call, and and then the audio is high quality. So it's not like you're holding your phone up to the speaker. You know, that's that's what we're trying to get away from is that <laughs> that weird thing like that. You know, right. so it's been really great, man. It's uh, it actually caused me to work more than I probably should have during the COVID pandemic. <laughs> right. You know. So now you've got cameras in the drum booth and in the vocal booth, right? Yes. So you can, yep. so they can talk directly to the singer or the drummer or whoever they want to. Yes. That is just crazy what technology has allowed people to do. Yeah. You know, it's, this is a little technophobia, but you can actually tell Zoom to make your space bar the talkback button. What? So, yeah, there's a little preference in the audio menu that says uh, – when you press the space bar, it'll open the microphone up on your on your laptop. But when you lift your finger up off the space bar, it'll mute the microphone on your laptop. So that means you don't have that feedback loop constantly with an open microphone. Unbelievable. And most people are so used to that, just you know, pushing the talkback button down like <laughs> producers, that it's just second nature. You know, they reach over, hit the space bar, and talk to the talent, let up on the space bar, and the feedback loop is gone. That is just crazy. That is a pro tip from Tom Reeves right here. 
yeah, it's really cool and it works. It just works, absolutely works like a charm, you know. So, uh, and then I found out you can actually use your iPhone as an, a secondary camera in, in the, on the Zoom call. And like an iPhone 11 is broadcast quality. I mean, it looks like the best camera you've ever seen. Oh my gosh, no way. Like as if you were in a TV studio or something. It's, I just set it up on a tripod and put it on either the, if it's a piano that we're doing or with, with the vocals, if we're on the vocal, you know. Right. Everybody's on mic or if it's a drummer in front of a drummer or the bass player. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So now we're going to experiment next with everybody bringing their laptop and taking part in the Zoom call. And you can see everybody as if you were just having a meeting, just like you would in a conference room with remote people out all over the, you know. I mean, this Zoom thing has become huge since COVID. Right. And so now we're just experimenting. What what would that be like if you were doing a recording session and every player had their laptop in front of them with the camera on them? Right. You'd, you'd be seeing the whole thing go down in real time and listening to the audio from Pro Tools so that it sounds, you know, the, the quality is there. Right. So that's the next frontier. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try that one. Star Trek starring Jean-Luc Picard and Tom Reeves. Okay, so tell everyone where they can find you. What's your website? You can find me at www.westparkcreative.com. Just like it sounds, westparkcreative.com. Westparkcreative.com. Okay, before I get you out of here, Tom, I want to ask you this. I know you have one more Estes Park story. It's amazing how the thread of your life has kind of come back around through Estes Park every now and then. You've got a really cool story uh, in terms of how it relates to your family. You know, I'm surprised I don't live there. So many things happened, you know. But up at that camp, you know, the, I think, is it the YMCA camp? In the yes, YMCA. Or that's what it was at one time. No, it still is. Um, yeah, you know, everything happened there. It seems like it all started with Continentals and, and Truth, and then I got the Imperials job at Estes Park. And then that year, I was touring all year, and the Imperials went back to Estes, of course, for <laughs> the next year, right? And we played our concert, and it was, you know, I think by then, I'm, I'm thinking Paul Smith was in the group by then. Okay. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Well-received, it was a great night, and I was getting ready to start, you know, back then I didn't have somebody, you know, handling all my gear. I had help handling my gear, but, right. you know, I still enjoyed putting it up and getting to where I wanted it to be. So I'm starting that process hmm. and the auditorium is, has been cleared out, but there's, and I don't know how she ended up being back there, but she was, a, this girl was in the back of the auditorium. <laughs> you know, you can picture it there in the main hall right. before you leave the doors. Yep. Right. There's a middle aisle, you know, off the stage. Yep. And th there she was. And man, I'm telling you, <laughs> I still get kind of weird about it because I saw her <laughs> and it's as if everything stopped. Right. Like all at one time. And you got to understand, I had just come off a whole year of what I thought was being a rock star. <laughs> right, right. Of course, we weren't, you know, but uh, you know that feeling when you're out there 
Yeah, but I got to say this, dude. You guys, more than anyone else, you were selling out arenas. You were like the closest thing there ever was to a Christian rock star. Everybody wanted to talk to you, and, and girls were no exception. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yes. put it that way. Yes. Uh, now, it didn't go by the way that secular bands do it, but everybody wanted to at least talk to you and maybe go out for dinner. But right. uh, anyway, I saw this young lady, and I just started walking down the aisle, man, <laughs> just immediately, and went back there and started talking to her. And you know what? She wasn't, she didn't even know who the Imperials was. She was not the, <laughs> the slightest bit amused uh, by what I was trying to communicate, you know. But you know what? It just, we, we kept chatting and um, we saw each other the next day. <laughs> and the next day was that word barbecue, you know, they would have over. Oh, yeah, um, the uh, artist cabin. Yeah, all the artists and everybody would go attend this big barbecue that Word Records put on. And I asked her to, to go with me to the barbecue, and she did. And uh, at any rate, that all happened on like a Monday, you know, like the first day of the, of the I think we, were, we played the opening night because we had to move on to other shows. But anyway, literally, dude, in 72 hours, I asked her to marry me. Oh my goodness! And uh, and you know to put the book end on that. I mean, we've been married forty-one years, <laughs> so um, but all kinds of things connected that 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 moment, you know, to Estes and uh, um, like for example, she came from Auburn. She was an Auburn University student. Okay, just happened to be there as a youth director in that summer. An oh, intern. That's great. And uh, we were playing Auburn a week later. Uh, are you kidding? She already had tickets. <laughs> that is so wild. You know, when God just smacks you over the head with the, that person you're going to be with, you know, it's <laughs> just like you have no choice. You're, there's not a decision to be made, you know. Um, so, you know, God has laid things out pretty loud and clear for you. It's remarkable. I don't know if I've ever heard so many things be so obvious in someone's yeah. life. Just because I'm really stupid, you know, no. I gotta be, you gotta just make it point blank, you know? <laughs> I think it's awesome. That is so cool. So how long did you guys end up dating before you then actually did get married? Well, you know, we were, we kind of agreed to a year to see, you know, cause she was in, she was going to school. She was in college, you know? Right. Uh, and uh, I was touring. But I remember calling her about about a month later, and uh, I said, you know, I'm really not, we're not going to know each other any better in a, in a year, because <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm on the road, yep. and uh, I might be able to visit once or twice, you know, because you know, you know how it is, you, you get, you, you work right up to Christmas, and then you may get a couple of weeks off january right yeah that's kind of the drill so anyway we ended up getting married january 3rd so just do the math there that's not very long <laughs> so 41 years later though 41 years yeah yeah we have two great kids my wife is a very good uh commercial graphic artist oh wow 
Uh, she does abstracts and I mean original art. You know, sure, sure. On on large canvases and starting to get quite a following. That's great. We have two children. We have a daughter, uh, thirty-seven years old now. Cool. Just had a baby. <laughs> wow. And uh, and a son that's thirty, and they had a baby a year earlier, hmm. and now they're expecting again. So congratulations. We went from no grandchildren to three. Oh, just like that's that. great. Grandkids are the best. How is that for you? Are you <laughs> are you speaking from experience there? Yeah, just a little bit. Thirteen month old granddaughter. That's awesome. So Monday nights we get yep. everybody, both kids and their husbands and Lily come over for dinner on Mondays. Yeah. And then Fridays I get to keep her all day. Have her mostly to myself. We do a similar thing. We keep our grandson on Thursdays. That's great. That's... And I'm reminded of what a huge job it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, by the time the day's over, you know, you you're just worn out. You're exhausted. I so. know. It's the same thing with us, man. Lily, she's 13 months old. She walks and she does not stop from the minute she wakes up to the minute she lays back down for a nap. Well, it literally takes both of us to handle the day. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about being gone when our daughter was born and, you know, being on the road. Because I was off the road by the time our son was born. But yeah, I think I think every time I think about it, I apologize to my wife. <laughs> Just yeah. bringing her to Nashville and leaving her alone <laughs> half of the time, my gosh. Well, I've so. met your beautiful wife, Peggy. We had the privilege. Um, it was Two Rivers Baptist. Truth was playing there. We get done. We tear down. Yeah. Mike Childers comes up, and he says, man, guess who my host is tonight? I just met my host. I get to stay with Tom Reeves, the drummer from the Imperials. And I'm like, you're kidding, dude. No way. And I was happy for him, but I was I remember that. but I was bummed for me because I would have loved to have stayed. <laughs> and then like two minutes later, Paul Glasgow yells across the, the room, John, you're with Mike. <laughs> and I was like, no way. So I don't know if you remember it or not, but we kept you up all night talking about the Imperials. Yeah. And boring you with questions and everything. No, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> you even sent me some CDs that Jackie played on that you produced. Yeah. That was pretty wild. Well, dude, you were always so good to me. You've been more than gracious with your time. Thanks for being my guest the last couple of weeks. Absolutely, man. You go enjoy those grandkids and that beautiful family of yours. I will talk to you soon, Tom. Well, it's an honor, man. It really is. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services for your church to generate more interest, create more exposure, and reach more people. Let Hey Rockstar amplify the awesomeness of your ministry. And, as always, Hey Rockstar is a proud sponsor of the Stage Right with John Thorne podcast. My thanks to Hey Rockstar. Thanks to you for listening today. My special thanks to Tom Reeves for being my guest the past two weeks. Next Friday, I've got a special Cracker Jack surprise. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone.